How you doing today? Happy Easter. How many of you have been on the road to life? The road of life. It's a great road most of the time, isn't it? You'll see a picture up here, and I see this is kind of how I picture my life. If I could, with these two screens on each side, it's like I'm standing right in the middle. I turn one side, I'm looking back, and I can see pretty far where I've been, what I've experienced, what's taken place in my life, some good, some bad, some ugly. I never want to get focused there. All I have to do is do about a 180, move this way, and guess what? I can see the other way. This is a road of hope. This is the preferable future. This is the focus. This is what God has for me. And sometimes a lot of people get messed up because they, they start looking back instead of looking forward. <clears throat> well, it's Easter. Maybe your road today as you come, you're not even in a road like this. You're in this next road where it's, it's not real smooth. It's kind of got some significant potholes, some things that are making this road in your life right now kind of significantly bumpy. Maybe it's because of some of the decisions that you've made. But this is what I want to talk about today. Easter is all about hope for the road that you're traveling on. See, it doesn't really matter as much what's behind you, although it may have consequences and may affect where you are. But ultimately, the hope of Easter is about where you're going and what God can do in your life. And the reason I use this illustration is because that's really what's taking place in the lives of two people that were followers of Jesus Christ. And in the process of Easter, on the very day of Easter that they celebrated, there was, well, there was a diminished hope a disillusioned response to what took place on that first Easter. And so if you have your Bible, I want you to uh, follow along with me in Luke chapter 24, verse 11. If you don't have your Bible, that's all right. I'll just kind of read and commentate for you as we go along. But this is about a people, a couple, that had broken dreams and diminished hopes at the end of Easter. Or so they thought. That day, two of them talking now about disciples. They were actually followers of Christ. They were walking to the village of Emmaus. It was about seven miles outside of Jerusalem. And they were deep in conversation going over all these things that had happened. Well, what's all of these things? The things of the last few days where there was the crucifixion, the death, the burial of Jesus Christ. And in the middle of their talk and their questioning back and forth, Jesus came up and he walked alongside them. Uh, but they weren't able to recognize who he was. Well, he asked, well, what's this discussion? What's, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? <clears throat> well, they just stood there, long-faced, like they'd lost their best friend. But you know why? Yeah, because technically they, they thought they had. They thought that Jesus was still dead. And they said, well, are you the only one in Jerusalem who hasn't heard what's happening these last few days? And Jesus said, well, no, what, what has happened? Now, you have to understand, he's omniscient, all-knowing. He knows. But, but Christ, God, has this wonderful capacity that sometimes when we go with him, with our questions, he'll turn it around and give us a question so that he provokes us to kind of refocus our thinking. And that's exactly what he's doing here. 
or to challenge us in some areas. Well, they said the things that happened to Jesus, the Nazarene. I mean, he was a man of God, a prophet, dynamic in work and word, blessed by both God and all the people. But then our high priests and our leaders betrayed him. They got him sentenced to death and they crucified him. Now, I want you to catch this next phrase because this is kind of the crux. This is the hinge of this passage this morning. And they said, and we had our hopes up. We had our hopes up. Other translations say, but we were hoping. We had our hopes up that he was the one, the one about to deliver Israel. And it is now the third day since it happened, but now some of our women have completely confused us because early this morning, they were at the tomb and they couldn't find his body. They came back with a story that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive and some of our friends went to the tomb to check on it and found it empty just as the women had said but they didn't see Jesus. I find this interesting because we live in the same climate and environment today. People hear about, they know, they've heard this resurrection talk and they've heard people that have experienced the life of God but they still have pretty significant doubts just like these two that are confused because of what they've heard. Well, then Jesus said to them, <clears throat> the loving, gentle Jesus, I love this, well, so thick-headed, so slow-hearted, why can't you simply believe all that the prophets had said? Don't you see the things that had to happen, that the Messiah had to suffer and only then enter into his glory? Then Jesus, as they're walking now, they're walking this seven-mile road, he started at the beginning with the books of Moses, the beginning of the Old Testament. And he went through all the prophets, all of the things of the Old Testament that ultimately point to Jesus. And he begins to point out everything in the scriptures that referred to him and what had just taken place. They're on the road. Now they come to the edge of the village where they're headed. Now Jesus was acting as if he was going to go on, but they pressed him. Stay and have supper with us. It's nearly evening. The day is done. So Jesus went with them because he was invited. So taking the bread, he blessed, he broke it, and he gave it to them. And at that moment, open-eyed, wide-eyed, they begin to recognize him. And then he left. He, he disappeared. And then kind of in the afterglow of that, they say, back and forth they talk. Man, didn't we feel on fire? as he conversed with us on the road, as he opened up the scriptures for us. Powerful, wonderful story. You see this little couple there, they're heading toward this outpost code called Emmaus. This is significant because remember, these people were followers of Jesus and now they're wondering what in the world happened. These are people that probably pushed in the chips, made the big bet with their life to say, we're going to follow this guy. And you can imagine there would have been family members and friends and people around them, kind of like today. Are you kidding me? This guy's just an itinerant preacher. What are you going to stake everything on him for? He's probably just another one of these, well, you know, TV evangelist kind of guys. And they begin to cast out, and, and, and they go through, and they, they push it in. They're going to give it to him. They're going to follow him. 
because they believed this. Their hope was that he was going to be the one that was going to come and redeem Israel, remove them from Roman oppression, establish God's new world order of the kingdom of God on earth where his rule and reign would become real and relevant. But no, he, he dies. He's in a tomb. He's dead. You want to talk about the hope getting sucked out of the lives of two people? They're feeling it. They don't know. They're confused. People are saying all these different things. So what's going to take place? These people are saying, you're crazy. Now they're thinking it as they're walking. Tell me that they don't begin to think, maybe we were crazy for following this pipe dream. But see, this is what Easter's all about. It's all about dealing with the hope. It's all about hope for our flawed expectations, loved ones, and our brokenness. That's what Easter comes to do. See, this is what they said. We'd hoped that he was the one that was going to realize the dreams that we have for our nation. That God had promised. But their first four words, as they begin to talk, they say, but we were hoping. Don't most of us here probably understand that kind of phraseology? We have hopes. We had hopes. We hope. These are some of the ones that I hear over the course of time since I've been in, in ministry and worked with people. But we were hoping. This is a pretty prevalent one today. But we were hoping that the company downsizing would not affect me. But we were hoping that our child would finally get their act together. They would turn the corner. They would be able to get removed from the throes of addiction. They would, good things would happen in their life. We, we were hoping. We were hoping that this would be the last we would see of cancer in our family. Oh, we, we, were, we, we were hoping that we'd be able to have our own child someday. We were hoping. We were hoping that when we said those words, we stood at the altar and made our vows that until death do us part, that truly our marriage would last forever. And we were hoping. And we were hoping that when we moved to this new location, that it would be all that we wanted it to be, that our best days of would be ahead of us. And that's what we were hoping. I was hoping, I was hoping to find the right person. And when I do that, you know what? I'll be really happy. So you go looking. And you found him or her. And you develop this relationship. And you get married. And you expected it to be bliss. And before you know it, it turns into a marital mistake. And you go, wow, what happens? And the thing blows apart. And then pretty soon, what do you do? You go looking for other relationships. Might be two or three perfect people you find, only to have them disintegrate. Maybe even gotten married again, maybe another time, and see it bust apart. And pretty soon, what do you do? You wake up in the morning, you look in the mirror, and you go, but I was only hoping. God, I'm still hoping for this. God, I... I want to see this happen. I want to see it take place. Maybe you were hoping if you just got the right job, made enough money. And it's possible some of you right now, you're sitting here, you got more money than you ever thought you'd have in your life. And you're still not totally happy and content. You're hoping for something more. Maybe some of us say, but I was only hoping for a family. If I, I never felt complete, but if I knew if I just got a family, I got the right spouse, the kids, the SUV, and the home... You were hoping and you got it. 
And there's still this nagging want in your heart and soul today. An expectation that's flawed. Maybe some of us have expectations on God. You were hoping that God would be, well, be around. Now, not the center of my life, of course. I don't think I necessarily want him to show up at my work. I don't know that I really want him to be involved in my social life. And I really don't know that I want him involved on my job site and these other places, but I just want him there. You know, for those times when you got to have a 911 call, you know, you hit a snag in your life and you got to have some divine intervention and help, that's when we want him there. Now, that's some pretty seriously flawed thinking. I'm convinced that God will always come around to us. But a lot of times people get disappointed because God doesn't fit that bill. And that causes some serious problems and they begin to walk away from God. See, that's what happened to these two people. They thought God was going to do something and they were disappointed. And they lost hope until they saw ultimately and understood what God wanted to do in their lives. See, our flawed expectations can often lead us to pursuits and mistakes, failure, thing the Bible calls sin. That we, we get our wrong pursuits and way, and we have these expectations and hopes, but they become flawed because we pursue them in the wrong way. And then we experience the consequences of that. Sometimes those consequences can last a day, a week, a month, a year. It's possible even you're sitting here today thinking, man, these consequences are going to last me a lifetime. But I want to tell you something today. I've learned this in my life. All the flaws, the foibles, the failures. God always comes to give us a new start if we make the decision to say, I want to get on that road of a new start. See, the truth is, trouble or difficulty, nobody wants it but can be the greatest teacher in our life to move us forward to a preferable future. Psalm 119 says this, My trouble turned out all for the best. If you're sitting here today, and you made a mistake or you got flawed expectations, this can be your greatest day, your greatest road of opportunity to move forward. The longest winter I spent was last month, a week in Des Moines, Iowa. It was, just went on forever. I landed in Des Moines and there's snow all over the place. It's freezing, it's cold. By the end of the week, it warms up and the snow's all gone because it starts raining. You just, it's, 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 it's not a fun place to be. So I was there for a week. But, you know, after all this is happening, we're driving down these roads in Des Moines, and it's incredible, all of the potholes. And we're driving along, and I say, how come all these potholes? And they begin to explain to me, duh, California boy, well, you know, and, and when it gets cold and it freezes, you've got all the, you know, the concrete, the cement, the asphalt, you know, it compresses and gets cold and hard. And then when it thaws out, it expands, and all those potholes that were there from last year, well, they reappear again because of the shifting and everything. And then guess what? There's new ones because there's more cracks. And just every five, boom, boom. And they say that's the reason most cars are out of alignment here is because we're always hitting potholes. And then when they get them fixed, we'll go in and get realigned. I thought, wow, that's kind of a great analogy for life. You know, we go through all these changing seasons of life. And there's potholes that appear. And sometimes, you know what? We see them and we miss them. Other times we don't see them and we hit them. And other times we see them and we just blow right through them. And pretty soon our lives hit these potholes in the road of life. And guess what? We get so misaligned. We get out of alignment with God's ultimate preferable future and purposes for our lives. Guess what happens? 
we miss the blessings that he has for us and then we begin to experience some of the consequences of pain and brokenness and hurt that's possible some of us might even be experiencing today. Well, the wise writer in Proverbs 28.13 said this, People who cover their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and forsake them, they will receive mercy. What a great word. But there's a couple of things that we get to do with this, with some of those mess-ups and failures and foibles and stuff in our life. He says this, you need to confess. Don't cover it. Be real. Confess it and forsake it. Well, what does it mean to confess? See, a lot of people think, well, that, what that means is you go see this kind of kind of dark suit or a dark outfit in a box, and you start telling them everything. And that can be part of it. But in the Bible, it really means something a little more, a little deeper, a little greater. See, confession in the Bible, the word literally means to agree with. So when you confess, when you speak it, you're literally agreeing with it. So if you're here, and I do this a lot, God, you know what? I've got this alignment problem in my heart. I've got this alignment problem in my life. And I need to tell you, you know what it is, but I need to tell you what it is. It's this. And then I just say, and I know that's wrong. Would you just kind of help me realign it? Would you help me get it back in place? And that's the hope that we have today that we can do that, that we can confess. And then pretty soon, God gives you the strength and the empowerment and the way to be able to forsake and to move on and to move away from if you decide to take that path. See, confession, friends, is not for God's benefit. He knows all the potholes. He, he's very clear on where we're out of alignment. But it's really for us to help us say, I know. And Lord, I, I want to make a change. I want to get back. I want to get my life in alignment. And see, friends, that's the hope that we get to live in today. That God says, I want to give you hope for your flawed expectations in your life. Your hopes and your brokenness that has come to your life. Because I want to give you a hope for your present. And see, I can't think of an Easter that's bigger in terms of our need for hope. See, a couple years ago, everybody was on pretty solid ground, weren't they? Financially and in work and everything was just kind of coming together. And then we kind of had this convergence of the perfect economic storm that none of us would have never predicted. And so what do we do now? We live with, well, with anxiousness of heart, pressures on our lives. We wonder where things, and this is the big question, where are things going to be in a year from now? If they've gone this way in the last two years, what I'm really concerned about is where am I going to be in a year from now? No one wants to experience a season of hard times and a season of challenge. But you know, they do have a powerful way of kind of provoking us to refocus, don't they? Because they will begin to challenge the very foundation of our life and what we're experiencing. And they'll cause us to pause, stand back, and ask questions like this. What am I really counting on? What am I really leaning into and trusting in? Or maybe a question like this. Am I building my life on a foundation that's solid enough that circumstances beyond my control will not shake me or take things away from my life? Because ultimately, that's where all the stress and anxiousness comes from. We wonder, are we going to be able to stand and make it through these times? That's why this weekend, loved ones, 
The reason we gather is to remember the only hope that is capable of sustaining human life through everything and anything that we face. It's not just some kind of a pipe dream, but it's the truth because it's the only thing that is rock solid, stable, and eternal. See, people have not gathered for the last 2,000 years to go, my stocks have risen. They have risen indeed. <laughs> we don't gather today and say, my 401k is risen and employment is risen. They are rising indeed. But see, so many of us, we put our hope in that. We think that if those things are going south, that, that ultimately that's going to affect our life and it will affect it, but it's not the end because it's not the ultimate. We celebrate the one hope that has held human beings across continents and cultures together for two centuries. In the face of poverty, in the face of disease, of pain, hardship, death itself, pandemics, you name it, this is what's held people together. This is what has held it all together. Christ is risen. Now some of us that maybe come from a liturgical background, you may remember what is said after that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Now consider that. I, I was thinking about that. Why is it say he is risen? Why don't we just say he is risen in response? We say he is risen indeed. It's a powerful word when you understand it in the context of probably why we say it. See, 2,000 years ago and today through all of history, see, when Jesus died, our Western mindset, listen, we're really smart. We know we're going to die. And when we die, our, 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 we just, that's it. We're dead. We're done. Resurrection, sacrificial giving of a life for people and then die and then That doesn't really compute with our Western mindset. And see, back then the same thing happened. This took place, and so people, they wanted to kind of do away with the resurrection belief. And so they begin to say, well, you know, those disciples, they were just kind of warm-hearted toward Jesus. They just loved him. They loved his teachings, and they wanted to keep this warm spirit, the, kind of the human spirit of the whole thing going, and that it's, well, he didn't really resurrect. It's just a warm memory. It's kind of the spirit of what took place, human optimism, but it really didn't happen. But listen, friends, we, we're pretty smart people, really. We know the truth and the power is that something significant did happen because people don't give their lives. People don't push in the chips. People don't bet at all on a myth. These people, 2,000 years ago, their little lives, they were galvanized, this little group of people to turn an upside-down world right-side up so that 2,000 years we're still celebrating the very thing that they said, I am going to give my life for it. People are not transformed by a metaphor or a myth. People do not give their life for a metaphor or a myth or a religion. But they give it for a relationship with the God who says, I am risen. Why is that? Well, because they come to understand Jesus did what he said he would do. He is who he claimed to be. Indeed, this is true. And that's the point. He is risen. He is risen. Indeed, we believe that. 
And that is such an important truth for us as we come and celebrate today because there's a couple of things that the resurrection means for you and me today. First of all, the resurrection means that now your worth does not fluctuate. See, over the last year, year and a half, people have said to me, you know, I'm worth this much less than I was a year ago. They give me a percentage. Well, they're really talking about their portfolio, but to some degree, they really believe it's their worth. Oh, I'm worth 35% less than I was a year ago. Or my net worth has dropped 40%. Yeah, that's your financial worth. That's recoverable. But your true worth, your true value, you are worth, friends, as much today as you were a year ago, five years ago. And guess what? You'll be worth just as much one year from today, five years from today, till the day you die. Because your value is set on the cross of Jesus Christ who says, you know what? I'm going to come and die for you. And because that's a truth that it's happened, your value does not fluctuate. But sometimes we kind of get these things mixed up. See, imagine a few days after Easter, the disciples, you know, they were all fishermen, Peter, James, and John. Can you imagine that they're standing around with each other and, well, it's true. We're a few days removed from Easter. Now, he is risen. He's risen indeed. But you know, my fishing business has dropped off 30%. Man, I feel like such a failure. I'm not sleeping well. I'm anxious. I can't believe what's taken place. I don't know if things are ever going to turn around. I don't know if these stupid fish are ever going to start biting again. Now, Peter, who I love because he's, he's the guy that, you know, open mouth, insert foot. But he would have said, I'm sure something, are you kidding me? We just said he is risen. He is risen indeed. That's the truth that we live on, guys. It doesn't matter about the fish and the business. It matters what Jesus has accomplished for us because that has present hope, but eternal dimensions of hope as well. See, friends, your job, your vocation, your title, your position, how things are going up and down fluctuate never determines your worth, ever. That is unchanging before God. Peter said as much when he wrote in his epistle later on, his letter. He said, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that's so important to us all that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He says, listen, this stuff can't be bought with gold and silver and it can't be lost because of gold and silver. This is a present hope. He goes on to say, see, Peter realized over time that his expectations in Jesus were never flawed. His hope was solid. He said in, in his writings as well, praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new life, new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Wow. See those two words so tied together? Hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are a lot of things, friends, in life that is overrated, but hope is never one of them. Everybody needs hope. Those two people walking to the road to Emmaus needed hope. Some of you may need hope today. You're in a hard time pothole of life. You've got some pain going on. 
Maybe you say, I just need hope to wash away some of the shame of my past or some of the difficulties of my past. Or maybe I've got, I just need some hope to get through this day. I don't know what's going to happen this week. Listen, this isn't some kind of a pipe dream, but it's some hope. The word hope has to do with the ability to be able to persevere and get through whatever you face. It's a life-changing kind of hope because it's a hope that's based on the all-powerful resurrection of Jesus Christ. Never forget your greatest hope is the value that you have in Jesus Christ. And see, this present hope leads to another resurrection hope as well. Hope for your future. See, God wants to bring you hope for your future as well. He spoke this years, hundreds, centuries ago to the prophet Jeremiah. There in 29 verse 11, he says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, but plans to give you a hope. And what? And a future. A hope and a future. No matter what happens, friends, listen, your future is not up for grabs. God has this plan for every one of you. And see, he invites you to say, I want to work with you. I want to help you find it. For today, for tomorrow, for eternity. Before I came to this church, I used to teach junior high school. I taught history. One of my favorite people is Winston Churchill, historical figure. Great man. I loved his pugnacious style. I loved the tenacity of the way that he led. He was called the lion. And he really was. One of his great mottos was, in war resolution, in defeat and defiance. Most of us have probably heard of his great commencement speech that he gave shortly after World War II when he spoke up between, uh, to give his college commencement to a group of people. He gave a short speech. But the part that everybody remembers is when he stood up and he looked at this crowd. And he said, never give up. Never give up. Never, never, never give up. And he walked away. He was a man with incredible hope and vision for his people. Now, I also like him because he could say things that I could never get away with saying. He, he had this gal named Lady Astor who was kind of a big critic, kind of a thorn in his flesh, and just always kind of writing and deriding him. But now because Churchill was such a brilliant man and had a great quick wit, uh, she probably never got the best of him. A couple of things that history tells us, they had these interactions. One time she comes up to him at a, uh, at a party and they were sitting together and having tea and she turns to him and says, Mr. Churchill, if I was your wife, I would poison your tea. Churchill turns to her and says, without missing a beat, if I was your wife, if I was your husband, I'd drink it. You know? <laughs> And my favorite is, is, is Churchill was a guy, he kind of liked to imbibe a little bit, and he was known for that. And one time they're at this gathering, and, and Lady Astor had been noticing him that he had been, well, imbibing. And so she walks up to him and says, Mr. Churchill, this is kind of an embarrassment, but you're drunk. And he turned around and he said to her, well, you know what, Lady Astor? That is true. I am a little drunk. But tomorrow, but I want you to know that you are ugly. Would you like to, no, I don't say it anyway. And he says, and furthermore, when I wake up tomorrow sober, you will still be ugly. <laughs> I love that. 
that's the way he was. Now, I don't know what his faith was, but toward the end of his life, this is a man that stared Hitler down. Nazism and won. But at the end of his life, he's ready, he's getting close, and he knows he's going to die, and so he begins to plan his funeral. It's going to be at the, in the dome of St. Paul's Cathedral. And he says, listen, do all the stuff that you're going to do, but at the end, after the words, the last word has been spoken, the benediction has been pronounced, but before the people left leave, I want these two things to happen. It says, I want a bugler. I want him put high on one side of the dome. And after everything has been said and done, after silence, I want that bugler to begin to play taps, which is the universal signal. The day is done. The night has come. And then I want there to be a little more silence. That took place. As people begin to think, and reflect on this great man's life. But he says, then I want one more song to be played. But I want that bugler to be on the far other side. And I want that bugler to begin to play Reveille. Well, that's the song of a new day. Time to get up. I don't know what his faith was, but you would say, well, why do you want him to, why would he want to do that? Because he understood a clear truth. There's a day to die. Taps. But there's a day of Reveille. There's a day that you rise up and come back. And notice how that was the second song played. He said this. Greatest man in the world said these words. Greatest man that ever lived said this. I am the resurrection and the life. Only Jesus said that, friends. Today, will your future have problems? Yeah, probably. Most likely it will. Is there a good chance that you're going to die eventually? I'd bet on it. Does that make Jesus nervous? Absolutely not. You know why? Because he's the one that said, I have risen. Or if we say about him, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Let me ask you this. Are you nervous about it? Because we don't have to be. Why? Because he is risen he is risen indeed. It really happens. The resurrection means this. Your past, nothing is unforgivable. Everything can be washed away. Your worth is established. It's not going to fluctuate. And your future is not at risk. See, these two disciples, they're on the road to Emmaus and they're headed west. We're not totally sure why they didn't recognize Jesus initially. A lot of people initially after Jesus' resurrection didn't fully recognize him. But you know when they begin to realize who he was? Two things took place. As you read it, it says Jesus would come up to them, initiated it with them. But the true point happened when they invited him to stay and to walk with them. It says they begin to see his reality. See, Jesus, friends, will never force his way upon you. He never imposes himself upon people. He only comes by invitation. Only by invitation. He was getting ready to go, but they said, no, Jesus, would you, would you follow me? Would you follow us? Would you stay with us? And what does he say? Sure. Second thing that took place was this. 
Because remember, they're going along and <clears throat> they're in a hurry. They want to get to Emmaus. So what do they do? They stop by the local. They go south of the border to the Taco Bell. Run through. Let's get some tacos and let's eat them down. Let's gobble them up because we're in a... No, they didn't do that at all. It says not only did they invite them to walk with them, but that they invited him to do this very intimate thing in that culture, was to go sit down and eat with them. And as they begin to eat, as Jesus begins to break the bread and speak to them, it says their eyes were opened. So when they slowed down for a moment, they realized, we're not alone. It's not over. God is with us. And I want to submit to you, I think it's the same today. A lot of people miss God because they've never come to this place in their life where there's two roads. They can go this way by themselves or they can go, you know something, Lord? Jesus, I think I'm going to invite you to walk with me. I don't understand it, don't get it all. It doesn't even make sense to me. I got a lot of doubts. But I at least want to find out if this thing is true, if it's real, if it's right. Would you walk with me? I don't care where you are. I don't care what's taking place in your life, friends. Jesus says, I'll do it. I'll walk with you. And then as you slow down and set yourself to listen to him, guess what? You'll begin to open up and begin to hear his voice speaking to you as you invite him in. Each one of us will come to two roads. And we'll make a decision. But I want to tell you, because of the cross and the empty tomb, your most defining moment will never be what's happened to you. Maybe you're sitting here today and you are broken, you're a mess, and you go, I just wanted to give Easter one more shot. Good call. Because whatever has happened to you in, past, in your past to you will never be your defining moment. The defining moment of every person's life is what has been done for them through the life of Jesus Christ. If you look at, in the right hands, put in the right hands, broken pieces of glass or tile or whatever, they can be reset and become a masterpiece and a mosaic of beauty that leaves people in awe. Again, maybe you've experienced brokenness in your life. Maybe there's still some there. Maybe there's flawed areas, flawed and unmet expectations. But in God's hands, broken, hopeless people can be transformed by his amazing love and the power and the hope that comes through the resurrection that we experience and celebrate today. And guess what? It can begin to leave you speechless. If you come to Creekside, you'll see people give testimony. People come in here and they go, wow, I can't believe they're here. I mean, I knew them 20 years ago. And then they go, but wow, I can't believe how beautiful they are now. I can't believe how their life has changed. That's what happens when we're touched by the hand of the master, Jesus. And he begins to not just change some of that out stuff, but he touches us inwardly. I want to show you a video that we put together just to kind of help illustrate this as we close. Scripture says that we're God's workmanship. This here is the piece that you just saw. Maybe hard to see from a distance, but you see very clearly a mark of a wooden cross in the middle, flanked by two small crosses. See, this is the hope of Easter. This is where it started. 
But today we celebrate the resurrection that it ended. See, these are all pieces of glass. I, I don't know where most of you are today, but it's possible you could have been cut deeply by some woundedness or pain in your life. It could be a divorce. It could have been a wayward child. Could it be a financial difficulty, fallout, business breakup? You, you fill in the blank for yourself. But I want to encourage you this morning in this moment to consider the claims of Jesus Christ and the power of hope that Easter can bring to your life. So that as you stand on the road, if there's potholes, he can help you smooth them out as you go to him. As you stand in the middle, you can either look back and say, I'm going to leave that and I'm going to go this way to the preferable future that God has. And one of the ways that we want to help you do that, the worship team is going to sing a song and and as they play this song, I invite you to take out your connections card. Pull it off and there's a couple of things and maybe you can say today, I, I'll, I'll begin my walk with Jesus. Never done that. Don't understand it fully. But this thing that's been celebrated for 2,000 years, maybe there's something to it and I'll at least give it an opportunity. This one that says he died for my sins. I, I, I'll, I'm going I'm to give this a shot today. Maybe others... You say, I want to walk with and trust Jesus to heal a broken area of my life, to begin to remove the shards that have caused pain. And you said, I, I just need healing. I've got these unmet expectations that have caused me. I need help. Check that box. And maybe if you would on the bottom there, you would just put, what is that pain? So our staff can meet with and pray together this week over those things in your heart that you would say, God, could you come and heal? Maybe some of you would be as simple as, I just need to re-engage in my walk with Jesus. I want to be touched by him. I want, to, I want to get back to where I once was because I've been away too long. And Jesus, some of you, he's literally, he's with you today and he says, well, I'm just waiting for an invitation. And maybe some of you say, you know what? I need to get my heart warmed again like those guys and be connected to a church. It doesn't have to be Creekside. But I encourage you, find a church to get connected in. There's a lot of lone rangers out there. They just get shot out of the saddle spiritually sooner or later. But maybe that's you. Say, today, I'm going to make this commitment. So ask, ask God now, what would he speak in your heart and your life? Write it down. We're going to collect these in just a few minutes. So we invite you to do that as, as the worship team sings.